0: Uh, Be with us, and uh, speak to us, Lord. Amen. Amen. So, here at the table, we've been talking about kind of the the lead-up to the Sermon on the Mount series, and Ben hit on it a little bit last week, but he talked about the fact that we're taking the Sermon on the Mount serious here. That's what we're trying to do. I think a lot of times people will look at the Sermon on the Mount and the Beatitudes and say, well, this isn't really practical, so we have to kind of work backwards and find out a way to make it just something that you know is like a platitude for us or maybe it's just like poetic and nice. Uh, Maybe it's something that can provide us you know material to put on really cute things that we get off of the internet to hang up in our kitchen but it's not something that we can actually live out on a day to day basis. I think that's a common way of maybe addressing these. Uh, I know that I have been a part of that in the past. I know that they can be a little bit daunting and so we're, taking, we're striving to take them serious here at the table. Uh, I don't think anybody would uh, claim that it's easy or that it's not nuanced, but that's what we're doing here. We're, we're not saying that these are platitudes. We are saying that the the Beatitudes are basically the preamble to the constitution of God's kingdom, to the government of God, um, and so these are some things that are extremely important to Jesus, and uh, we'll try to address it as that this morning. Um One thing that I wanted to say just before reading the scripture again is that the fact that we're taking it seriously doesn't mean that we're going to dive in and make, we're not going to explore each beatitude as a one for one. You know, we're not going to read one scripture and say, okay, what does this literally mean in the present? How do we apply this right now? You know, just because I'm saying it's not a platitude doesn't also mean that it's a formula, even though at times we can find ourselves drawn to that because it feels a little bit easier to address that way. Um, for whatever reason, uh, it seems more common that we take like the creation story as a, a one-for-one, true, factual thing than the Beatitudes. So we're trying to figure out a way to kind of live in that tension of not saying, these words mean this. This is a formula that we can walk into, but also to say it's not just a platitude. With that said, I'm going to read the verses to you guys one more time. We'll probably have it memorized by the end of today. So Matthew 5, starting with verse 1. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. Blessed are the ones who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil things against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they have persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives lights to everyone's houses. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. The good news this morning is that in the midst of our efforts to manage our badness and hide our unworthiness, Jesus welcomes us into his kingdom. He doesn't wait for us to clean up our act, but he welcomes us now as we are. So Matt kind of mentioned, he mentioned that we're, my wife and I, Mallory, we're down in the downtown area, Fountain Square area. We moved here a little over two years ago to plant a church. And uh, when we moved a little over two years ago, we kind of came in with the, uh, the knowledge that to actually plant a healthy church, we needed to be patient. Um, at least that's something that I would say out loud. But whenever we actually got feet on the ground, I started to think, well, you know, two weeks. It feels like we've been here for a while. We need to be, like, producing something to feel like we're succeeding at planting a church, you know. I know I said we're going to be patient, but maybe patience is two or three months um, and not two or three years. Um, So, actually, pretty early on into us moving here, I met Matt and Ben, and I remember distinctly sitting across the table from Matt and Ben at a lunch, and uh, Matt just kind of raising the question. uh, He said, what if God is calling you to wait three years before you plant a church? And I just felt like my stomach, like, exploded in my belly, because I was like, oh, I do not want to wait three years to plant a church. Like, I need to feel like I'm doing something. I moved here, what, just to, like, have a job and be a father and a husband? I need to be doing something for the kingdom. So <clears throat> that was my gut reaction instantly to that, that question. And it wasn't that Matt was prophesying. He just raised the question. That was my internal explosion of anxiety about it. Um, And, you know, over the next couple of weeks and months, Mallory and I discerned that we wanted to walk with the table. We wanted to be a part of this community. And we really felt that God, you know, opened our eyes to what it really meant to be patient, that two or three years actually is a pretty short amount of time, uh, honestly, uh, let alone two or three months. Um, And so we felt like we were called to be patient, to be faithful, to taking that slow and faithful approach, to not try to manufacture something but just to discern what God was doing in the area. But I think all the while, I still had this kind of entrepreneurial spirit right in the back of my head, thinking about starting something. That's why we're here. That's our purpose for being here is starting this church and leading this thing. Um, so that was a little, around two years ago is when we had that conversation for the first time. And it was, it took, it was a development within me to decide to be patient. Uh, but over the past Several months, maybe the last year, we've really embraced that approach. Um, So here in the last couple of weeks or last couple of months, we've started to feel like we are actually discerning God at work in our community. And as we've discerned that He's placed us in these relationships where there's something going on there, people are drawn to it, we have people of peace in our lives, and we're, we're kind of coming hand in hand with them and exploring what God is doing in our neighborhood together. I actually started to feel myself have the, almost the opposite reaction. So two years ago, my stomach exploded at the thought of having to be patient, and now I just felt this strong resistance to wanting to go anywhere near doing anything, uh, even though that's been kind of what I hung my hat on, is that that's what we're here to do is plant a church. Um, the way that this manifested for me, I mean, at first it was just kind of a, an undescribed feeling that I wasn't even aware of totally. It was just kind of in the back of my mind or in the pit of my stomach, but then as I became, I came face-to-face with opportunities to have conversations with people, these friends of ours in our neighborhood and people that I work with, uh, I just found myself almost paralyzed at the thought of having a conversation. Uh, You know, these are people that I feel like God has placed in our life and that we have a deep connection with. uh, and we feel like we're called to do something with them, but I felt like taking that step of inviting them to into anything, w- it just felt dirty to me. It felt like I was re accessing a part of my, uh, like who I am that I had been resisting because I almost put it in this category of being a bad thing, right? That I was going to rush the church plant. Um, and I. I'm not that great at diagnosing these things within myself. <laughs> so I was pretty unaware of most of this that was going on in my mind and in my spirit. Uh but through a conversation this this past week in our DNA group, uh I rambled on a bit like I just did to the guys. <laughs> and <laughs> they started asking some actual pointed questions. And it really made me think they were asking me what the, was it was this resistance to taking action was it tied to a fear of failure? Was it uh, tied to the fact that I needed to seem successful, you know, was I afraid of what it would mean about me if I failed? Uh, and through that conversation, it really, at first I was super just intrigued, really, why I was feeling that way. I, I, didn't, I didn't feel like I was afraid of failure, but what it felt like was I, I've become aware of the type of unhealthy leader I have the potential to be. Uh, a lot of us come from different church backgrounds, but many of us have probably experienced bad church leadership. Even if it's not a church leadership situation, you maybe have been around unhealthy leaders in the workplace. And so personally, I feel like I've been doing a lot of internal soul work over the last year or so, and just bringing these things to the surface. I know that I have the potential to be somebody that would value the vision of what I feel like I'm doing over people. And I know that that's sinful. I know that's not what God created me to do. And so, as Matt and Ben and Andy were asking me these questions, it just came to the surface for me that this awareness that I have this badness within me, this evil ability within me to be a bad guy, to be a jerk, to be an abusive pastor, created a fear of doing anything. It made me feel like I couldn't even talk to some of my good friends. That they were Some people were basically approaching us and saying, "Hey." we want to do something like this, and I'm like, there's like a lightning bolt, you know, like, oh, well, this is, we were literally just talking about this yesterday, and then you approach me about this conversation, and I'm still feeling like I'm paralyzed, and I can't move, because I know that I have this badness within me, and that if I step it up, if I step out and open the space up for myself to be in leadership in a church, that I could be a bad leader. I could, that could come to the surface, this badness that's way deep down inside me that I've been trying to cover up. And through, through that conversation, just I, I, really, I would say I had a vision, basically, of me alone. And I was uh, almost like in a dungeon-type area, and I was standing over this creature, this beast, which is my badness. And I was holding a chain, but I was all by myself. I didn't have any friends or backup or family with me. God wasn't with me. So my vision was that I'm completely alone in managing my badness. Like, God, sure, God loves these things about me. God created these things about me. These people that I'm with, they love these things about me. But this badness that's deep and dark and hidden within me, this is something that everybody's disgusted by, that I need to manage on my own or else God can't use me. I can't have access to the kingdom life. I can't live the blessed life. I can't be a part of the kingdom. And so having that that come to light exposed a lot for me, and I think that that relates to where we're at with the Beatitudes. I think... You know, we all have this badness inside us, right? And it probably manifests in a lot of different ways for you guys. But I think when we look at the Beatitudes, we have a tendency to, when we look at them, we wonder, is, is this just a, a simply a redefinition of terms? Is this really just, you know, a situation where God said it, I believe it, that settles it. Poverty is now synonymous with blessedness. This is the facts that we thought we, we knew, they're just totally wrong, so I need to adjust my thinking, Now, it's not that there's not wisdom to be mined there, right? Like maybe our definition of blessedness is different than God's. However, if you have ever been without, if you've ever been close to poverty or in poverty or been around people in poverty, or maybe the closest you've been is to just watch a documentary about poverty, it probably doesn't take that long, maybe five minutes to realize that poverty is not synonymous with blessedness. So that's not what's going on here in the Beatitudes, Jesus is talking about who kingdom life is open to, and the list isn't exhaustive. I think that's our first temptation is to say, okay, so Jesus is saying this is who kingdom life is open to, and he lists off a few things, so these are all that that the kingdom is open to, but in reality, it's not an equation. We we shouldn't come away from it saying, I must be poor. I have to be meek and in mourning to have access to blessedness. It's not a one-for-one, like-for-like formula. Jesus he's talking to, he's in conversation with the type type of people that he lists. It's concrete and it's contextual. The meek, the poor of spirit, these are the people that are right in front of him that he's speaking to. And these are the people that in the society of his day were considered to be the least likely to have access to the kingdom. These were the least likely to be blessed. So it's not that Jesus is giving us an exhaustive list of who has access to the kingdom, but he's doing something very specific here in this list that he provides us. He is, he's upsetting just everybody's standard of, of who has access, who the kingdom is open to by the way that he lists this. So our tendency to make these things into formulas, uh, what we end up doing is just exchanging one meritocracy for another. The Beatitudes are not a new meritocracy. If Jesus is, If all he's doing is altering the order of who's preferred in the kingdom, then we're still left with a system of shame, and guilt. It's just dressed in different clothes. It's shame, but it's dressed up as grace. So you end up coming away thinking, why can't I be more meek? Shame on me for not being meek. And beyond that, we can even turn the Beatitudes into just an activity of self-awareness, right? So maybe it's not about being poor of spirit, but if you're aware of your poorness of spirit, then that's how you get in. So blessed are the self-aware. But that's not what he's saying either. So this is, all of these things have one thing in common. This is how we read everything as being all about our own activity. So what do we need to do to get into the kingdom? It's all about our own action. It's all on us because that's what we're most comfortable with. Jesus isn't reordering the world system He's completely abolishing it. He's destroying it, and he's smashing it to pieces. He's not just turning it upside down. If it was really just a, well, actually, these people are the preferred ones, then it's just a reordering of the same system of shame. I have a great example for you guys. I've been waiting for this all morning. (laughs) (coughs) So, (laughs) (laughs) conventional wisdom would say, people with really thick luscious locks of hair have the best hair, they're the best looking people I don't want to single anybody out and embarrass them, any, many, many Andy somebody may say, oh Andy has great hair what a good looking guy, I want to be just like Andy, but (laughs) there's a new, so the conventional wisdom is blessed blessed are those with luscious locks because they can whip them back and forth Okay, but the new study came out this week. I don't know if you guys saw this. A new study came out this week that actually most females believe that bald people, bald men, are they perceive them to be more powerful and more attractive. So, in your face, Andy. Yeah, everything's upside down in the kingdom, man. Yeah. <laughs> so, actually, the new the new wisdom, if we were to take it this way, is that Blessed are the balds or the balding, <laughs> because they look powerful. Uh, <laughs> but actually what Jesus is doing here is he's saying it doesn't matter how much hair or how little hair you have in the kingdom. The kingdom is open to you regardless of if you're balding at 28 <laughs> or if you're, what are you, 30? 30? 30, yeah, 30, if you're 30-ish and you have hair like a 13-year-old boy. Not as an insult. It looks good, I mean. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so Jesus is not flipping the system upside down. He's not in an order of people, one to ten, and saying, actually, ten is number one, and if you were number one, you're now tenth. He's saying, this does not matter. Your status in life, your ability, your achievements don't dictate your place in the kingdom. The kingdom is open to all of you, no matter how far from God you feel like you are today. That's what Jesus is saying. One other important point about the Beatitudes is there's some discussion surrounding whether or not their current blessing or if they're just prophetic about a future blessing in the kingdom. So a lot of people will say that Jesus is saying, well, actually, these people are the ones that are currently blessed. But in fact, what he's saying is, no, you." he's blessing them by saying that to them, right? And it's not... And there may be some spiritual, beneath-the-surface part, element to that. But what he's really doing is he's standing there before them. He's a rabbi. And with the people that were perceived to be the most shameful and the furthest from God in their society, and he's looking at them in the middle of their sin, shame, and struggle, and he's saying, you're blessed. He's not running away from their shame. He's there with them, and he's calling them blessed. And they are blessed as a result of that. And then beyond that, the future aspect of this blessing— is that Jesus is painting a picture of what life in the kingdom is like. He's saying that everyone has an opportunity to be a part of the kingdom. Now, you may bump up against things here in, on, you know, in everyday life on earth where it still matters how good your hair is or how bald you are. But in reality, in the real world, in real life, in the kingdom life, it actually has no meaning. And in God's kingdom, it won't matter what your status was or is. It's going to be a diverse kingdom. Everyone is welcome, and people aren't going to walk around priding themselves on being in while others are out. It's scandalous inclusion and welcoming. In the midst of our efforts to manage our badness and hide our unworthiness, Jesus welcomes us into his kingdom. He doesn't wait for us to clean up our act. He welcomes us now as we are. So this is like Trump saying that Steph Curry isn't invited to the White House except it's the opposite. So you can't earn an invitation to the kingdom. Nothing you can do can earn you an invitation to the kingdom. You're already invited and welcome into the kingdom right now. It's the opposite. And at the end, there's this bit about salt and light, which I think a lot of times Christians, at least in, in, growing up in my family, we interpreted this as being you don't see R-rated movies, and that's what makes you so salty and light. Unless it's the passion of the Christ, among among other things. But what makes us salt and light is that we're welcoming to all, that we see the world in light of this, that it doesn't matter what status somebody has in life or where they're at. We know that every part of their life is just as near to the kingdom as anybody else's life, that there's nothing about us that we have to earn God's grace or his favor. We're a picture and a foretaste. Of the kingdom, That's what the Beatitudes are, and that's what we're called to be as a church. This is kind of an odd thing that I heard about going on downtown. I don't know if anybody's, have you guys heard about pre-enact Indy going on? It's going on at the beginning of October near uh, Heron Morton area. There's a couple of vacant lots, and somebody has hired like 80 to 100 different actors, and they're actually putting on like a model community for like several hours of the day. So you can go there and see a pre-enactment of what a healthy community or neighborhood is going to look like. So for that specific pre-enactment, they list out that a community or a neighborhood ought to be just, equitable, economically vibrant, high-performing schools should be there, great transit opportunities, distinct community, walkability, et cetera, and they're going to be putting on a model of what it could be, and that's, I mean, they're on vacant lots because they're trying to enhance people's perspective of what it could be, to invite people into dreaming a little bit about what that neighborhood could be. And that's exactly what Jesus is doing here. He's not giving us a list that we can turn into commandments or rules that we can f- measure ourselves up against day in and day out. He's inviting us into a picture of what the kingdom of heaven is like, what life in the community of the kingdom is like. In the midst, so the good news is, in the midst of our efforts to manage our badness and to hide our unworthiness, Jesus welcomes us into his kingdom. He doesn't wait for us to clean up our acts. He welcomes us now as we are. So I had this vision on Tuesday of myself standing over my badness, this creature, this dark figure. I've been reading Lord of the Rings lately, so that may have contributed to the vision. But uh, I'm standing over it. and I'm all alone. It's, it's cold. It's lonely. It's impossible. It's paralyzing, knowing that I have to deal with this on my own. I'm just standing there with a chain in my hand, and I, I feel like I'm broken. I'm, it's almost like I'm trying to control this on my own, but I also am hiding it because I don't want anybody to see that this badness exists, although there's nothing I can do about it. But as we talked about it, we, we prayed together, and I was invited just to, to listen and see if God had a picture for me, a vision kind of in response to that first vision, a picture of what reality is in God's kingdom. And the vision that I had was just of me and a, a huge crowd of people, you know, friends, family, the church, and I was there with God. And my badness was there somewhere, but it wasn't the focal point. I'm not sure where it was, and nobody was worried about it. It's not because we should all just embrace our badness, our dark side, and let him take over every now and then. But in that community, in the kingdom of heaven, that badness did not matter. It did not impact my status or my welcomeness in God's family. I was still a son of God, and I was still among that family. And that thought brought tears to my eyes and just, it opened my heart up to know that even though I have badness within me, I have this thing in my mind that is keeping me from the kingdom in this one area of my life. You know, I try to quarantine it off on the side. Even though that exists, I still have an openness to the kingdom. I still have an open invitation to be a part of the kingdom. So we've been actively, Mallory and I have been actively taking steps towards starting a table group in our home, uh, although I felt that resistance to doing it. Uh, It was all internal, but now we're actively, you know, in addition to just meditating on this vision of welcomeness, I'm acting it out by stepping towards inviting people into our home and inviting friends of ours that we've met over the past two years to be a part of something. Uh, And uh, a little bit of it is just being willing to take that step. You know, it's not a self-help lesson of, you know, take a risk and see what happens, Uh, but it's knowing that I'm not perfect, but that doesn't mean that God is leaving me off on my own, or if I make one mistake, then everything is going to to crumble all at once. It's that I can take that step because God is with me, and even if I slip up, that doesn't mean I'm on the outside then looking, and He's still going to welcome me no matter what happens. So, One thing about this is that we've had these conversations. We've started to have conversations with people about coming to our house to start this group. And uh, we've had really great grace-filled conversations. But I think on a deeper level, the freedom that comes from this is that even if things don't go well, even if those conversations that we, we invite somebody into it and it just doesn't pan out or it takes longer, there's still freedom in knowing that this action that we're trying to take to meet God and what he's doing, is not what's going to make God happy with us or make us acceptable as God. It's just us acting naturally as we would in the kingdom because we know that we can operate in that freedom. This probably manifests in a lot of different ways for everybody. So I want to just take a few moments here to think about how it may be active in your life. What are the ways that you're you're trying to manage your badness What shameful thing do you fear cut you off from access to the kingdom, from the good life? Is it if I can just lead my family well through this time? If I can resist my own selfishness and sacrifice for everybody else, whether it be at work or my family? If I can show that I'm a humble person, if I can operate in humility, then I'll have access to the kingdom. If I can embrace my need for help, if I can be self-aware of the fact that I can't do it on my own, is that what's going to open up the kingdom in your mind? If you can earn enough to live comfortably, or is it can you give enough to live uncomfortably that's just telling you that that's what's going to give you access to the kingdom? Is that what's going to open up God to you? Sometimes we tell ourselves a lot of these different, at different times during the day or multiple times during the week. If only I could do this, if I can control this, if I can operate this way, then I'll be acceptable to God. But the good news this morning is that in the midst of our efforts to manage our badness and to hide our unworthiness, Jesus welcomes us into his kingdom. He doesn't wait for us to clean up our act. He welcomes us now as we are. In the booklets for today, we've got a prayer that we can respond with, and uh, we'll just take some time in silence to let the Spirit speak to us and maybe reveal some areas that we, we do this in our own lives and I'll start us off with a prayer, but feel free to pray after that.